Dude, what's up, man? Hey, good Wednesday afternoon. Beautiful day here in Freight Alley. What's on your mind, my friend? You know, I was seeing Gray Sharky a bunch of times this morning yeah. on Freight Waves Now. If you guys don't know Freight Waves Now, it's 9 a.m. Eastern time every day. Freight Waves TV or every Fabulous show, especially on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But she made a revelation on this show recently, and she said that she is a bathroom aficionado. Oh, restroom, yeah. public restroom aficionado. No doubt. Grace, you are in luck, and so are those of you who appreciate a good restroom. And a lot of truckers have to stop by rest stops. K, according to KXAN, Sintas is currently accepting votes for America's Best Restroom Contest, an annual Ooh. celebration of the cleanest, most captivating facilities in the world. Here's a few of them. Wow. Uh, this year, the top 10 finalists include everything from posh, portable toilets to picturesque public restrooms, each exhibiting their own aesthetic, hygienic, and in one case, poetic appeal, according to Sintas. Um, what's your criteria for a good restroom? Did any of these ones appeal to you? <laughs> I like that one right there. Really? But yeah. I'm, I'm t- cleanliness, disinfected, poetic appeal is way down the list, although I'll tell you, I do enjoy a good bathroom wall, wall haiku. That last one gave me anxiety. <laughs> In fact, I wrote a haiku, a okay. bathroom wall haiku for Hit you. Hit us with it. All right, here it is. Cleanliness, like rain. A bathroom is in need now. Poetic appeal. Is, is that, did you, is like 575? Five, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you yes. tested the syllables. Oh, yes, I did. It's well, five, I appreciate seven. it. Well, which, so which, I like that red one. I like when you have like a full door you can close so no one can like identify you by your feet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I like Wi-Fi in the bathroom too. Wi-Fi in the bathroom is always. You know good. what I don't like though? I don't like a heated seat. You it don't? just grosses me out. It makes me feel like I'm sitting in someone else's warmth. Like someone else had been on this toilet before me. Oh yeah. I okay. don't like sitting in like people's warmth in seats. I just have like a weird thing. Well, yeah. I mean, we had one in my in our in our ours were in our house in Ohio when I grew up. All right. But, well, so that was fine. Let's get to it. Today we're talking. We're going to be talking about saving lives, saving the planet, retail, air versus ocean freight, pirate walruses. And more, so let's get to it. First, we'll tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-energizing. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at, tell them, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai immediately after the show. Headlines. Feel that sizzle. Now it's time for the steak. No lull to see here. Spot rates post fresh all-time highs. Take a look at these things, brothers. Andrew Cox reports the upward. Look at that thing. It's just all up, all up, right? Since when did that start? Mid, Mid-July. mid Like July 18th, this line just keeps yeah, going up. just said, you know what? It had one week where it little plateaued a little bit. You got to camp out. You got to hang out on that mountain there. And then you had to keep going up Everest as this thing goes. Andrew Cox reports the upward slope continues as the truckstop.com national spot rate averages notch all-time highs. The dry van seven-day moving average reached 338 a mile, inclusive of fuel. This is a series record, right? Yeah, the yeah. national reefer average rose seven. Another series record to 409 a mile inclusive of fuel of the 100 spot market lane pairings available in sonar. Just over 52 were positive week over week. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Tender rejection rates have been volatile ever, uh, even in a major freight hub since the beginning of August. But volumes in the five biggest markets have consistently outpaced the national average. Carriers have worked to stabilize networks and renegotiate contracts over the past several months. And there's been a noticeable change in carrier compliance. Yet volumes continue to gush from major markets, sucking up 
up surrounding capacity. Yeah, and it hasn't been exactly in, in lockstep with the, uh-uh. with the reject inrix, right? The downward no. pressure on rejection rates hasn't translated into lower spot rates at this point. You think you'd get some relief there, and you think that we would see this line plateau, or at least the hill get a little bit jagged, but it just keeps going up. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any lull in the cards now, especially considering ocean peak seasons. You get all that volume coming in. You've got the 30 ships plus at anchor. You've got 80 ships in the United States at anchor. So you get all that freight that's pouring in, plus all the freights that are be coming out of DCs and warehouses to get into inventory for holiday shells. Heck, Spirit Halloween's opening soon. They got to bring over those Pokemon costumes, all yep. those things. So a lot going on in supply chain right now. And rates uh, on the ocean, on the air, and on the land, you don't. Probably not going to be getting any relief this year anytime soon. I'm sure we're going to see that line go even further. Um, Stay metrics driver data points to the pandemic impact on retention. John Kingston reports reading the stay. I love John Kingston's writing. Reading the stay metrics quarterly <laughs> driver retention chart is almost like a game of hopscotch, jumping from comparison to comparison to discern trends in the data. He says the recently released third quarter report by Stay Metrics, which was acquired by 10 Street in November, compiles retention data from drivers as far back as July. Of 2019 and as recently as June 2021. So a decent amount of comparative data. Yeah, absolutely. The last 12 month or 365 day number for the drivers hired in June 2020 shows that 39.1% of the drivers were still with the company that hired them a year earlier. That marked a very strong rebound from hires made in the two prior months at 30.6% for April and 34.6% for May. The peak month during the last year was at 45.6% retention rate from the drivers hired in January 2020, which reflects a trend seen in many of the numbers. The driver retention in a period when the uncertainty of the pandemic was the highest appears to have somewhat elevated. The numbers were higher, Stay Metrics said in its report, likely due to the pandemic's initial effects causing driver uncertainty. That's an interesting insight because it there is. was a lot of talk during the pandemic that a lot of drivers left because of the pandemic. They pulled off the road and they left, but the ones that did stay stayed longer. Yeah, and they didn't jump from carrier yeah. to carrier. You know, they're like, I'm going to ride this thing out. Yeah. Things aren't going on there. Get on your driver's smart move. The latest report from Staymetrics and Tentreed showed that the number of days stayed for drivers hired in June 2020 was just four fewer than drivers hired in July 2019. Drivers hired in July 2019 stayed on average 216 days for those hired in June 2020. It was 212. And uh, Tim Hines, he's from Staymetrics, he gives a little more insight. He says, during the pandemic lockdown, there were very few drivers switching uh, carriers. As many carriers recruiting and or carriers and carrier recruiting orientations were affected by that lockdown uncertainty. So it wasn't even as easy to leave as you might have wanted it to. Although that's changing quite a bit now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty easy to change and leave right now. But yeah, that makes perfect sense. Nobody's hiring or recruiting during that time because of the lockdown. Plus, you want that certainty in life when things were just out of control. Yeah. Right? If you always want the story first, the story is in sonar before it even happens. We could have told you these things before the headlines even come out. Port of Virginia sets an all-time record for July. Joanna Marsh, she says the Port of Virginia had its best July on record with the Norfolk headquartered complex handling more than 293,000 TEUs. That's a 33% increase year over year. And now we're getting to the point where the comps aren't getting as strange year over year because that freight market did pick up. After this point in time. So it's not, you're not getting that anomalous uh, March through, you know, May data. Yeah, you're already into the high last year. Yes. So anything yeah. above that is like remarkable. Yeah. July's right? volume was also the highest for 2021. The highest occurred in May when the port handled 315,000 TEUs. The port has been handling more than 280,000 T- 82,000 TEUs per month on average in uh, 2021. 
Wow. And Georgia Port Authority kicks off uh, 2022 with a record July. The Another Georgia port. Ports, yeah, Georgia Ports Authority GPA took off with a running start in July, the first month of its 2022 phys- fiscal year. The Port Authority reported record volumes for containers for roll-on, roll-off traffic as well. The Port of Savannah handled 450,000 20-foot equivalent units in July, a 25% increase from July 2020, while auto and machine uh, machinery units at Brunswick rose 39% year over year to 61,470. Crazy. It is crazy. It's unbelievable. Demands for goods and capacity enhancements are contributing to increased poor authority. At Savannah, the terminal at Garden City has achieved container records in nine of the past 10 months, my friend. That is, uh, that is wow. That's astounding. It really is. It hey, really you want to talk about, uh, you want to talk about autonomous trucks and what they may be able to do? I love talking about autonomous trucks. Well, absolutely. Locomation, uh, trucking technology, right? We turned about, we talked about how we can re-engineer supply chain and can save some profit, but it can also save the environment. We have a great guest right now. It's Finch Fulton. He's the VP of policy and strategy, and he brings us a unique window into the world because he had this great experience of working under Secretary Elaine Chao from 2017 to 2021 at the U.S. Department of Transportation dealing with issues like unmanned vehicles, unmanned aerial vehicles, and all of that kind of thing. So let's bring them up now and get some context for all this. Hey, brother, how, what's happening? Hey, hey, y'all doing good. Thanks hey, for t- having me. Hey, tell us, what does someone do like in that position? I've always been curious, because you hear about the DOT, and you hear about you know the big black box of the government and what goes on. What did a gentleman like you do over there? So it's fascinating, because I'm relatively young for the position I had, but because we were working with all these new innovative technologies, no one knew all the answers yet. So in this case, it was a lot of process bringing people in the room, trying to figure out what all the problems you're trying to solve are and trying to get the ground truth of what needs to be done uh, to get the outcomes that we want, improve safety, better efficiency, uh, better economic impact for the country and making sure that America wins in the development of this technology. So it was fascinating. I bet it was. And I bet it, you got a lot of insight across the board as to all the different uh, aspects and hurdles and issues that are out there to solve things, to bring on board to locomation, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the final projects we did was looking at all the different use cases for autonomous vehicles and all the federal rules and research and everything that applies to it. So, you know, when one of your last jobs is looking at the numbers and the regulations for what makes sense and what the country's going to do, you very quickly look at long haul trucking as an area where automation makes a lot of sense and can do a lot to improve safety and efficiency and reduce emissions and can do a lot for the American economy and the American workers. So it was sort of a commonsensical thing, a, a, a very easy step to take to say, this is where it makes sense to go now. Yeah. So now you're over at Locomation and uh, I was reading an article with you and you were talking about these environmental impacts and you were outlining mm. some ways that, I mean, some, some seem sort of obvious, some were not as obvious, but let's go through them. Because when we think about autonomous, you know, we think about maybe solving a driver shortage, we think about solving capacity issues, but we don't always think about sustainability. That's usually left over to like the EV side of it. So let's bridge those two, two things together. Uh, set the table for us. Yeah, well, so clearly with the current administration, this is their one of their top priorities they want to look at. Uh, and you guys know a lot of the big level stats. 72% of all goods shipped in the country are by truck. Additional 14% are courier services, which use trucks. Uh, and this is an $800 billion market, $670 billion uh, for long haul trucking alone in the U.S. Uh, but when you look at some of the environmental impacts, um, you know, 28% of the total greenhouse gases are due to trucking. Uh, heavy duty trucks account for 23% of that. Uh, and then even just with fuel use and cost savings, and this may be something that, you know, some of the drivers care more about, 26% of the fuel used on U.S. highways um, come from the medium heavy, heavy duty trucks. Uh, and that represents about 25 to 40% of the total cost for uh, a trucker. Um, 
And so there's a lot of very basic things that if you just think about the way autonomous trucks are going to be used, you see what the real world impacts are. You know, a truck traveling at 75 miles per hour consumes 27% more fuel than one going at 65 miles per hour. So not only do you have systems that wouldn't speed, you remove the incentives to beat the clock around hours of service. Uh, even with a human-centric convoy like ours, you know, you have a lot more control over the time and you're not rushing to beat the clock all the time. So you can manage that fuel burn. Uh, you know, being able to have better control over the schedule means you can drive during off-peak times, which saves an additional 11%. Um, you know, the speed smoothing and speed limiting is a 10% average fuel efficiency gain per truck. And then some of the other things that people haven't been considering, you know, truck drivers spend 56 minutes a day searching for parking. When you have a team driving situation where you're incorporating these autonomous machines in the convoy, in addition to the human drivers, that reduces that 56 minutes a day looking for parking because they're just getting to their destination. Uh, and then when you're looking at not having to park and idle, that's an additional, um, you know, $3,000 a year in fuel cost or uh, 1,200 gallons in fuel um, that's, that's just avoided entirely because you're not sitting in a parking lot in Texas running your AC in the summer or up north in the winter running your heater. That saves, uh, you know, that's that $3,000 a year saved in cost. Um, and then with our system, of course, when you have these linked convoys uh, or platoons, these two truck platoons, uh, you get an additional 8% fuel efficiency. So what we're seeing is, you know, overall, this is an 18% reduction just in fuel costs, which is 86 metric tons per vehicle per year in a convoy. That's huge. I mean, just our first two customers alone with the 2,120 trucks, that's the equivalent of removing 39,000 passenger vehicles from the road every year. Now, someday when we sell all of our trucks and get the total market, that'll be the equivalent of removing 4.5 million passenger vehicles on the road in terms of emissions reduced. So, you know, we got to be working with everybody. We got to make sure that we're selling people on the fuel savings because that's you know, what I think truck drivers and carriers and shippers care about. But also when you're looking at, you know, people trying to make an impact on uh, greenhouse gas emissions and everything that we need to see to have better environmental outcomes, you know, this has huge impacts. You know, this can make a big difference as we look to what the future uh, brings. This is ways we can bring technology in today to solve for some of those things. So it's, it's pretty exciting and it can make a big impact. It certainly can. And those sound like uh, it, it almost sounds like I'm going through this and I'm listening to the list and, and some of them there I didn't I never thought of. Right. Like the idling and stuff like that. And also parked sleeping. Right. Sure. But uh, these are the low hanging fruit almost. Right. I mean, isn't there more to be said there as far as if it's automated vehicle, it drives better. Like you said, the speed, uh, the uh, acceleration and changes and that type of stuff, better driving, feathering the pedal, et cetera. Sure. Right. Doesn't that reduce maintenance as well, which also can reduce carbon footprint and also the need for more and more tractors, et cetera, the production of, of more tractors, the solving of capacity, so to speak? Yeah. And I mean, as you're looking at the increase in the amount of freight demand going up in the U.S. and the increased expectations on speed, you're looking at a huge amount of pressure on the truck drivers that are there today. And we've talked about the truck driver shortage but, you know, incorporating a human centric point of view also means that we can have better outcomes for the truck drivers themselves in quality of life. We're not talking about people losing their jobs. We're talking about people being able to use these technologies to augment their jobs. And if it's improving safety, if they're carrying twice the load, twice as far, twice as fast, you know, while following all the speed limits and everything. Uh, and if they were to get back to their home base every night, you're talking about ways to keep the experienced drivers with the companies. You're talking about experienced drivers staying on longer. You talked about the positive numbers around uh, the amount of time truck drivers stay in, but you're still looking at over 100% turnover for a lot of companies 
uh, going through truck drivers every year. And so if we can solve for some of those things that truck drivers are feeling, you're getting truck drivers that stay around longer so they can have, you know, they are safer, better records. They can handle some of these maintenance issues, you know, with basic experience. If you can keep truckers longer, they can handle a lot of things that, you know, somebody that understands what they're doing on the road, you keep them around longer, you get all sorts of benefits. So this is sort of a way to incorporate technology to solve many problems at once and not just kick the truck driver out of the system. They can use this technology to have better outcomes. And I mean, we're talking about with the amount of demand we've got in the country, yeah. there's going to be a role for truck drivers for a long, long time to come. If you're a truck mm-hmm. driver today, you're going to be able to retire as a truck driver. Hey, Finch, tell me something. So you and you kind of know the temperature over at the DOT. You were there. So when they hear a company like Locomation talking about these autonomous convoys and, and what they can do for the environment, is that do they receive that with, with cynicism? Is it with excitement? Like what is um, what's the viewpoint over at the DOT? I'd say, so obviously you have all the career staff. There's 55,000 people at the U.S. Department of Transportation. There's about 100, 120 politicals or non-careers. So, you know, the majority of people are still there. But even in talking to the new team there, and they got a lot of good people there, I'll I'll admit, um, they are interested in the safety outcomes for what this can bring. Um, They are interested in what this can mean for the environment and the emissions they are interested in the U.S. beating China in the development of this technology. You know, if we don't if we don't embrace this technology and bring it in to work with humans, Chinese companies will come in and replace our drivers. You know, they don't have any qualms about the American worker. So they're interested in these things, but they're rightfully skeptical still on companies having to prove the safety. And so you have to go through these processes and you have to make sure you make the safety case. And we're in the middle of doing that um, before you deploy. You have to be able to take these steps. Uh, and so I, it's okay for them to be skeptical on these things until you can prove it on the road uh, as you're looking at these pilots and demonstrations to get down the road to deployment. So they are justifiably skeptical until proven uh, otherwise. But they're good relationships. And, you know, we're engaging in some of the USDOT initiatives around, uh, you know, information sharing, data sharing, shared safety outcomes. Um, and, you know, we're also working with the Department of uh, Energy and EPA and some of the other federal agencies to make sure they have all the information they need around the fuel efficiency and uh, the potential for electrification or hydrogen powered vehicles in the future. So it's one big complex ecosystem, but it's, it's super interesting. And there are a lot of great impacts that it can mean uh, for the drivers and for the country. Our, our convoy has come to a close. Mr. Told's Wild Ride, we are out of time. But people who want more information about this Finch or they want to continue the conversation with you, where should I send them to? Uh, you can send them to locomation.ai, um, or you can find me at tfinchf uh, on Twitter. So at tfinchf on Twitter. Nice, man. Find me at Timothy Dooner. I'll connect with you after the show. Thanks, Finch. We appreciate your time today. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, sweet. Thank you all for having me. Thank you. <laughs> you know, usually I wouldn't play an ad on this show, but there's a company out here who makes awesome ads. I mean, oh, yeah. I play ad once in a while, but like an ad for fun, because this one is actually really, really cool. We it's played one creative. of their Western ads last time this guest came on. Let's play the latest one that we've seen from them right now. Our customer received your shipment, but the entire load was spoiled. Not possible. We check the loads before they shipped. Yeah, right. But my boss just said that your shipment was rejected again. And because it happened again, he shot me in the leg. What? There has to be a way to stop this nonsense. 
tokens. If you had used Tive to track your shipments, you would have received a real-time temperature alert about the issue, and you wouldn't end up arguing with each other. Who was that? That was Otif. I didn't think he was real. He wasn't until Tive. Because every shipment matters. Komani, CEO of Tive. Look, Kalba, for another amazing ad. I love these things, man. You're crushing it. I know, I know. There's something coming up in September, man. You guys are going to love it. You'll see. Oh. <laughs> Keep us in the loop, man. Maybe we can premiere Absolutely. on What the Truck. Um, Vincent, you're, you, Vincent was telling before we went on air, he was telling me this story about missing organs. Give me a little context here, Vincent. Yeah, so, right, so between 2014 and 2019, nearly 170 organs could not be transplanted, and almost 370 of these endured near misses, right, with yeah. delays of hours or, or before transplant. Some of these things can't be used, so Transportation-related right? problems are, oh, yeah, can happen to organs, yeah. critical life-saving Organs. Now, yeah. this is a topic, Craner, when you, you approach this, you're about coming on, you're like, you know, we have some great insight into this and solve this problem. And this is a huge one. This is a very important issue. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in that organ space and also how Tithe fits into it and, and can maybe help solve this problem and save some lives. Yeah, absolutely. We have a few customers right now who are uh, into uh, shipping critical shipments that are time critical. And one of them is definitely transplants, kidney transplants, organs. And as you said, there's thousands of those that, that just don't make it on time. And the reason is because of visibility. So what we've been able to do is help customers like this, not just tell them the location of these shipments using our trackers, but also the condition in real time. And customers have been able to save these loads because they know exactly where they are. Um, sometimes they're in a tarmac. They're supposed to get on a plane and they didn't make it. Uh, we had a customer who had a half a million dollars worth of acting ingredients for vaccine similar to uh, the cases with organ transplants that we talked about. And it was stuck in the tarmac, didn't make an airplane. They were able to figure out where it was and save that load too. So one thing that's unique right now that's happening and where our focus is tied is we're moving into pharma and start, we do quite a bit on the food and perishable space. We do, we start, we've started to do quite a bit on pharma. We track 40% or plus of AstraZeneca shipments in one of the countries uh, in Asia Pacific and what's unique is in pharma, you need to have quite a bit of, uh, you need to be quite accurate when it comes to temperature. So what we've done is we've designed a completely new tracker with a new chip that measures temperature really, really accurately. So there's a lot of new things like that that are coming up. Yeah, if you, well, if you all remember about a year ago when we were talking about the vaccine rollout, yeah. that especially cold chains yeah. a year ago, sure. that, that temperature, that negative whatever, it was like negative three to 100 or so, it was negative something Celsius. <laughs> it was very cold that it had to be. Um, you know, when you, don't, when you don't receive your couch like me and it takes four months, it's uncomfortable. You yeah. receive a heart, someone can die. I mean, so yeah, yeah. Or, or, yeah, or pharma moves and, and it gets out of the outside of the temperature correctly, and it's it's no good when it gets there, and you didn't know it was going to be right. So, yeah. Krenar, let's let's dig into that a yeah. little bit. You guys recently uh, partnered with Optimize to launch a multi-center, the Solo Five G device that's going to solve all this stuff. Can you talk to that a little bit and why it's so important? Yeah, we're working with a couple of c customers that are uh, focused on these critical shipments. One is Optimize Courier. And the other one is Airspace Technologies. And Airspace does quite a bit of those transplants. And then Optimized Carrier is the one that I mentioned regarding active ingredients. The reason why it's really important is because in the pharma space, you want to make sure that when you get the data from the tracker, you can trust it 100% with 0.25 within 0.5 degrees Celsius. 
Um, and that's what we've done with this recent tracker. It's, it's similar. It doesn't change the shape of it or how it looks. It's just we've changed the ships set in there. So you get a temperature uh, sensor that's fully calibrated. So you can download a report uh, that meets the pharma requires and gives you uh, measurements from negative 30 Celsius, zero Celsius, 70 Celsius. You can download the report for every single tracker and be uh, certain that the measurements that you're getting for those shipments are 100% accurate. And that's wow. one of the reasons why it's, uh, it's very important. Colonel, let's hear about how this works in the uh, in the real world. I believe yeah. you have a use case on a shipment that's from Raleigh-Durham to Memphis. What what went into that, and uh, what was Tide's involvement? Yeah, this one, uh, from what I recall, uh, it was a shipment where uh, I think I just mentioned it was active ingredients for vaccines, and it was stuck on a tarmac. They were it was supposed to make it to an airplane and and go to the next shipment. The next leg of a shipment, however, it didn't make it. It was a half a million dollar shipment that Optimized Courier was able to save. We have a case study on that. Uh, it's on our website. You can dive into details a little bit more. But that's that's just one example. There's so many like that that happen uh, almost in a weekly or bi-weekly basis here at Tide. Well, wouldn't insurance cover that 500000 I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I thought you were. Uh, yeah, insurance is definitely something that can be covered. We can fire. You can uh, find. You can essentially file a claim. Not fire. Not find, file a claim. Insurance insurance claim. However, you lost that product, right? You're losing revenue. You're not getting that active ingredient to produce the vaccine. You're not going to be on time with that product. There's just side uh, things that happen, chain of events of other things that happen, that it's a domino effect. You want to make sure that you catch that domino before the rest of the dominoes fall. Gotcha. So yeah. we talk about temperature excursions too, and what those mean within that space. If you're not familiar with what like a temperature excursion is, when, when does that, when does that happen? Can you define it just a, a little bit more for me here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So if a temperature, think of it this way, if a temperature goes for, let's say it's uh, a shipment supposed to be between two to eight Celsius. That's one example. There are shipments that's supposed to be roughly at 32, 33 degrees Fahrenheit. If it just passes a temperature for half a degree for a couple of minutes, it doesn't. It's it doesn't really affect the product. What happens then, pharma? There is these things called stability budgets, meaning that how long? What's the budget that my product is going to be stable? So, for instance, a pharma product. When they do stability budgets on that pharma product, when they're releasing it, FDA approves it, and it's going to go out to the public, they can say, this product can stay outside of this two to eight range for 10 hours. If it's out of the two to eight range for 10 hours, including shipping from the manufacturer, including transportation, including arrival, all the way to the time it gets to the patient, while it's also in the fridge by the time it gets to the patient, can be for X amount of hours outside of the two to eight degrees uh, Celsius. And that's where transportation and invisibility while in transit for the temperature is very important because now we can measure exactly how many hours, how many minutes was outside of that range. And then you can take that and put it into that stability budget and make sure that you're within the stability budget of that product. That's on the pharma space. It's pretty rigid. It's pretty rigorous. And then you also have similar in the food space where you can say it's if it's above a certain amount of degrees for two hours, eight hours. If strawberries are 80 degrees Fahrenheit for eight hours, uh, you're not going to be able to sell those. So it's it's similar. But however, in pharma, it's death of life. Uh, I mean, um, 
life or death situation. So you want to make sure you meet that stability budget and you're very accurate. And hence the chip that's super accurate. Uh, and on top of that, we also have 24-7 monitoring for our customers where we're monitoring these shipments to make sure that they don't go outside of that range. Yeah, well, you, Michael Vincent mentioned insurance, but, you know, I, my, my dad was insurance for a long yeah. time, so I have yeah. that insurance umbrella under yeah. me. And uh, I know what he would probably say. He would say that insurance companies would love something like this because it can help you prove your claim and it can show those temperature variances and, oh, and, yeah, and the movement of the good and all of that. That visibility would be great for an insurance company. So I think they would see a lot of value there. Uh, Karina, where can people go to learn more about Tive? And especially if they're in this space, I mean, it seems like a great solution. Where should we send them? Tive.com, T-I-V-E.com. Uh, they can check, uh, they can go on LinkedIn too, see a lot of the posts that we have, um, and they can learn everything from there. All can right, you man. guys guess where I am right now? <laughs> I, you know, you're usually in Boston, but where, where are you today? Not, not in the snowy Boston. Every time we talk, it was snow playing outside. <laughs> I'm in, uh, actually, <laughs> I'm in Europe. I'm in Kosovo. We have a pretty big office here. Uh, we have 20 people and growing quite a bit. Uh, I can show it to you a little bit. And oh, nice. Oh, wow. Beyond there. And that's where that film was even shot, the, the commercial. Yeah, you it's told me there was exciting. like a spaghetti western. We brought, yeah, uh, exactly. And just recently we brought, so Olympics had two, uh, Kosovo won two gold medals, which is pretty unique for a tiny country. And it was both on judo. And oh. two uh, women won those gold medals. And we brought the uh, coach who trained these two women to win the gold medals, and he came to our office here. It was amazing. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. So for judo. I didn't know you guys were so powerful in judo over there. If I ever stop by the office, I'll be sure to you know, mind my P's and Q's so I don't end up getting uh, get tossed. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not good at all. I'm not good at all in judo. But, yeah, it was fun. I'm going to be here for a couple more days. So, yeah. Well, hey, man, when that new commercial drops, let us know, because you know we love to see him. Will do. All right. We're going to do something... Uh, Anyways, think think of Bezos and Branson. That's all I want to say. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. okay. You're going to send us to space. I heard it. All right. We'll hold him right. to it. He's going to send. He's sending us to space, Vincent. <laughs> Take it easy, Cranar. All right. With fully furnished, state-of-the-art repair trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response for your fleet from Love's Truck Care and Speedco. Learn more at Tell Them, dude. Hey, Loves.com. Go there right after the show. Hey, guess who's in studio today? It's Andrew Cox. You may have seen him this morning on Freight Waves Now. It's not a rerun. He was really here, right? Right, Andrew Cox? I was here, yes. How you doing this morning? Um, Afternoon. I'm fabulous. Thank you for having me. You are fabulous. Hey, I saw your newsletter, and I was surprised to see that uh, my, my coach has become a bit of a celebrity in, in point of sale. Um, for those of you who, who listen to this show regularly, you know that I talked about, I you know, moved to a new house in March. We were on the couch end of April, and then I got this tracking slip that told me I would not be receiving it until... Uh, this tracking slip, so I would not be receiving... This tracking slip, so I would... Uh, this tracking slip, please? Nope, not going to get it? Okay. No. Well, I think Detroit, they, I they think said tracking slip. It said that it would not uh, arrive until uh, now. I got to look it up. It's right here in your couch, late uh, August thirtieth to September thirteenth. There. there we go. It's a little late. It's okay. <laughs> a little late, just like my couch. <laughs> Very on theme. Uh, this is called an immersive news experience. Um, but anyway, so it finally showed up. Andrew Cox, it finally showed up. It took forever, but it's in there. It is. Looks beautiful. But this is not unique to me. This is a problem that if you're on social media, people are sharing stories all the time of what's gone wrong with couches. What has gone wrong with the furniture supply chain? 
Yeah, I don't think there is a single supply chain in the retail and consumer space that has gotten has been more ripe for just a terrible thing to happen than the furniture industry right here. So lockdowns, imagine go back to uh, when the world kind of went into lockdown. Everybody was stuck at home. Demand for furniture exploded. And at the same time, we had uh, retailers that were selling furniture and we had manufacturing producers that did not expect that at all. They wound down production, uh, canceled orders from China, created this bullwhip effect. That all was still in play earlier this year. We were still trying to catch up to demand. And then those Texas storms hit. And this has been the really kind of the, the, the gut punch to the industry. So those Texas storms wiped out um, a lot of power for millions of people in Texas. But they also wiped out three of the nation's largest producers of propylene oxide, a major um, ingredient in foam. So everything that goes into mattresses and couches and everything else we like to sit and lay on. So They not only could not get supplies from China, the little nuts and bolts and little things that make up the couches, because there may be some things built here in America, but everything has parts from China. Difficult to get the parts from China, and even more difficult to get foam and raw materials from the U.S. here. So you have a terrible supply there, and then demand just was unabating. Even in the most recent months, uh, we've seen the year-over-year change in furniture still up after being drastically up the year prior. So people are still buying furniture even this far into the pandemic. Unbelievable. So as we talk about that demand and the retail trends, what are those trends now? Are we catching up with demand? In furniture, it depends on who you ask. So if you, yeah. if you ask Ethan Allen, uh, their, their CEO, Farouk Katharway, he thinks they're going to be caught up within four to six months. Ethan Allen is, has an advantage here. They build most of their stuff here in the U.S. 75% of their uh, goods are built here in the U.S. And it also, it's also custom built. So they don't um, kind of rely on a factory showroom and sell things out of the showroom. They make everything custom. So they're in a little bit better position, but other companies have said it's going to be well into 2022 before they catch up. And they think it would help them if demand would wane a little bit. But people are still moving. I saw an April study from Zillow that said one in 10 Americans had moved in the pre- previous year, whether by choice or not. The work from home trend is here to stay with COVID, uh, with the Delta variant kind of uh, cropping back up. People are spending even more times in their home now than they were just a couple months ago. So I don't think demand is going anywhere and supply is really not catching up just yet. It'll probably be likely into 2022 before we see any kind of balance here. Yeah, Andrew, is it safe to assume that with the great resignation and, you know, I was talking about these, and the recent What the Truck newsletter, I was talking about stress levels, and there was a uh, report by uh, the American Association of Workers or something like that, that 33, 26% of workers are planning on leaving their job during, the, during this year. They're planning on going somewhere else. They've been locked up. They're, they're sick of it. But that goes to 33% for millennials. So when you look at a category like that, 31 in three millennials going to switch jobs. They're probably doing it to get a little bit more money, which means they might have to either move to a new location or upgrade their work environment. So it's safe to assume that this great resignation will also have a second wave of uh, furniture, home office buying and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a fair stipulation. I think there's another thing here that we we talked about people exiting from the cities in the early days of the pandemic to the suburbs or to places with land. Well, the opposite is happening now. People are seeing videos of New York, seeing videos of Chicago, uh, you know, maybe just a couple weeks ago prior to Delta kind of uh, putting a a clamps on this. But they're seeing these cities wide open, back back to normal. So there's also a push to get back in the city. So, yes, there's lots of trends here with millennials moving, with people getting back into the cities, people still trying to find space in the suburbs. The housing market is white hot. There's a lot of demand pushing furniture forward right now. So, Andrew, let's move forward. What's going on? uh, What's coming up new on uh, Point of Sale? Well, this afternoon, I've actually got uh, the Point of Sale show here on Freightways TV at 2.30. I've got a a fantastic guest. We're going to have Sean Henry. He is the CEO of Stored. 
that is, they're kind of difficult to describe. I mean, they are the cloud supply chain. They are a logistics orchestrator. They are a cloud warehouse operator. There's many things to describe them, but they are making the, the complex seem very, very simple, and they are being rewarded in kind for it. They're growing super fast. They topped out at number 42 on the Inc. 5000 that just came out last week, the second fastest growing logistics company in the, in the group there. I think one of the fastest growing companies in Atlanta. They have already reached unicorn status. I can't, I'm very excited to talk to him about you know, what KPIs they look at, what their new facility is going to be like in Atlanta. They just opened up a new facility that will act as a warehouse and a distribution hub, but it's also going to act as their innovation hub where they can test out new robotics and test out new processes. So really excited to talk to him. And I just realized today, I, I knew the guy was young, but he's actually even younger than I am. So he is on his route to be a very, very successful logistician and supply chain professional here in our industry. Finch was really young, too. It's great seeing so many young people oh, yeah. in these prominent positions in supply chain. Uh, Vince and I worked in a time uh, not that long ago when, um, you know, if you want to see anyone in a position of power, they're like 40 and up. Oh, yeah. So nice to see some big changes there because it's going to attract a lot more people because uh, word spread during the Great Resonation. Hopefully we get some great people joining this industry who wouldn't consider it before with all uh, with all that tech and everything. Now, Andrew, I have a four- and six-year-olds, soon to be five- and seven-year-old. Um, their birthdays are in September and October, plus Christmas coming up, so in retail. I have been buying all those sort of gifts early. Um, am I doing the right move? Yeah, smart man, uh, for sure, especially in the toy industry. We saw this uh, at last year around Christmas. <laughs> um, I forget his name, the uh, director of the Port of L.A. He had to step in and try to basically pull these um, these containers off of the ship and off of the, the port because the, the, the toy companies were saying there's going to be no toys for Christmas. Right. So like most... The Bratz or something like that. It was like MGA or the Bratz Stalls. It was uh, Gene Soroka from the Port yeah, of L.A. Gene Soroka, Soroka thank you, we're yes. they are knocking on the cabin of each uh, ship. Well, you got toys here. <laughs> hey, Christmas going to be more expensive? <laughs> Christmas going to cost more? Is inflation hitting that too? Is your He-Man figure going to be like five bucks more? Well, there's two things. He's like, one, you do have product inflation. Raw materials are getting more expensive for the producers. Um, logistics are more expensive for, for the producers. But you also just have way less inventory. So you have these companies that are dealing with generally strong demand, and they have way less inventory than they normally would have. So they're just not as willing to give promotions and discounts. I think they're going to push as many full-price sales as they possibly can before eventually going to the liquidation after Christmas. But I think there's going to be fewer and fewer sales leading up to Christmas this year. I found the inventory. A lot of it's on eBay, like with the kids' things. That's why I jump on it, because, you know, like... People buy this stuff up really quickly. We get a yeah. shortage of inventory. Then on eBay, something that was like $50 suddenly is like $150 to $200. It's just wild. So this year, if you want to make sure kids are happy, you know, family's happy, everyone's happy, get your shopping done early. Andrew, how do they, uh, first of all, watch or listen to your show? And also, how do they subscribe to Point of Sale? You can subscribe to the newsletter. You can go to FreightWaves.com slash POS. You've got a pretty simple uh, email login there to sign up. And then the show is right here on FreightWaves TV on 2.30s on Wednesday. You can also catch us on FreightWaves LinkedIn or FreightWaves Facebook, YouTube, all of our social channels. And you can catch us on demand, of course, uh, on FreightCast or there, again, on FreightWaves TV. Andrew, thanks for your time today, brother. Thank you, Take sir. Take it easy. Oh, wait, no, hold on. Hold on. You can't let him go. He's got to spin that wheel. He can't go away. He's got to spin that wheel. Okay, all right. Let's do it. All right, let's... All right, what do you got for him? There we go. All right. Very appropriate. Huh? I said very appropriate. Yeah, very appropriate. You're locked in a target during the zombie apocalypse. What aisle are you going to, and what are you using as a weapon? Oh, um, I'm pretty handy with a baseball bat. I'd probably run to the sports section. Camping, I think you could get some nice stuff in there. You could get some tent poles. People wouldn't really think about those, but those would be pretty dangerous as well. Yeah, just climb on, like, top of an island, just, like, spearfish. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Unless they're like the runner zombies from 20 Days Later and then 
maybe not so much. Yeah, I, I hope if there's ever this zombie apocalypse that they're at least kind of slow. I'm kind of quick. I can run away. But if they are, if they get on the ground and crawl really fast, I think it was one of those old Call of Duty games, the fast-crawling zombies, those are always <laughs> the scariest. I love it. It's getting close to Halloween. Can't wait for Spirit Halloween to open up. Andrew, one more time. Thanks again. Now we're going to talk... <coughs> Sorry. Now we're going to talk to Eric Coolish. He's our air cargo editor. Uh, he's also been looking at the port of Ningbo. What's Dude. going on there? Yeah. Maybe clearing up by the end of the week. And we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, the dynamic that's going on with air freight versus ocean freight now and how air freight's starting to become a value compared to ocean freight. But we'll see how long that lasts. Eric Coolish, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. How's the, uh, how's the afternoon treating you? It's, uh, it's going great. Uh, just trying to, you know, Avoid the uh, wildfires out here in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's really bad over there, right? Yeah, luckily I'm in the Portland area, so it's not too bad here. But yeah, the whole area, you know, I haven't seen a drop of rain in uh, two months in the Pacific Northwest. It's crazy. I didn't know you lived in Portlandia. What do you what do you do? How do you get wild doing in Portland in Portland? <laughs> yeah, I moved out here a couple years ago. So I'm right near the Portland uh, airport and uh, I see all the Amazon and UPS and FedEx uh, cargo planes uh, taking off and all the other planes uh, right from my window. But, um, yeah, it's great out here. Well, keep Portland weird, my man, and tell us a little bit about Ningbo. What's going on there? I heard there's some good news, right? Yeah, last week, a little over a week ago, the authorities had to shut down or shut down one of the terminals there in the port of Ningbo. It's like the third largest uh, container port in the world. And one of the... There's five terminals. They shut one down because the um, they found one case of a worker with COVID, and then they started testing. And you know, I mean, there's they have zero tolerance over there for COVID. So you know, here we've got 130,000 cases a day. There they get at one or two, and they they lock down. So um, that's caused some ripple effects. Uh, some of the ships are diverting to Shanghai or other ports. There's been a few blank sailings where, you know, some ships have skipped the uh, port of Ningbo. But overall, the the impact has not been as bad as feared initially uh, as what happened with the Yantian Terminal back in May and June, where there was like a month-long, you know, very extensive shutdown. So things seem to be um, a little better because they've been able to shift a lot of the containers and the ships to the other four terminals there. and. Um, you know, the nominal TU capacity was only down about 8% so far. So, and now we're hearing they haven't had, they've done more testing. There's been no more positive cases. Um, so if that continues, we're hearing from logistics providers that they're starting to open up in phases, potentially by later this week, a few, there could be a little bit of movement. And then as you go through the rest of the month, so by maybe 1st of September, they could be fully going again. Well, that I, that sounds like good news. So there was 41 vessels at anchor waiting for birth Tuesday morning yeah. out there, right? We've got the same thing over here. Uh, but the port calls in Ningbo also felt 22%. Yeah. So there's blank sailings that are happening here as well. True. How long is this going to take to get through this this clearance? Is, are, we, are we good when they open up in, in September? Or is this going to really affect things here as well? I mean, you know, there's always going to be that, you know, cleaning out or cleaning up uh, of the container stacks. And, and so there'll be some, you know, it's not going to be immediate back to normal, but, you know, the fact that this was much shorter and some of the other terminals are able to absorb some of the uh, the volume, you know, that should help. So 
it seems like it's manageable. It's not great to have any disruption in a year like this where, you know, things are so strained and, and maxed out. Any disruption just has ripple effects. But this one seems to be uh, somewhat contained, you know, but knock on wood, you know, all it takes is a few more uh, positive cases and, and things could be back to, to you know, um, lockdown. And, and we're seeing that across China, right? And a lot of ports are have slowed down operations. There's been outbreaks. The same thing at the airports. Uh, many airports have, several airports have closed or have certain uh, measures in place that have, you know, slowed uh, labor and, and working conditions. So we're, we're seeing this around the, uh, all over China and even in Asia. Yeah, one case at a port and they shut it down. My kid's yeah. school has like cases. They won't even tell you who had who has it. They can't no. release that information. They can't they can't tell you anything. They're just like, yeah, someone had it, but whatever. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't yeah. worry about it. Wild. You know, here in the United States, inland freight, right? With inland freight, there's a certain point where if trucking capacity gets bad enough, rates get high enough, fuel gets high enough, rail starts to become attractive, right? So people so then shippers start switching over to rail. Uh, an interesting dynamic is sort of going on that usually never happens because the rate disparities are so far apart. And that is companies saying it's more economical to ship by air. What is the disparity in air and ocean freight now? Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, speaking of rail, I think you're seeing some more uptake of uh, transcontinental rail kind of going from China to Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So through, uh, through Siberia and through Russia and some of the Central Asian states. So that that's picked up. Uh, but uh, as far as air, you know, air cargo capacity has been low uh, since last year. And now it's there's a real crunch. Um, and and with these airport closures and lack of labor to work the airplanes um, and unload the cargo, there's been a lot of cargo carriers canceling. So you've got more uh, canceling flights. So you've got some more air cargo capacity issues. But prior to that, the the, the crazy rates on the ocean side where, you know, we've had so much disruption and, and the, the ocean carriers are just jammed chock-a-block with, uh, with demand. It's, you know, normally the, the gap or the difference between air freight rates and uh, ocean is about 10 to 12 times more expensive. But now it's been whittled in a half or even less. It's about maybe three to six times as, as expensive. And so that's Force a lot of people, or, or motivated a lot of people, to to switch over to air for kind of critical shipments, uh, especially given that uh, you know the price gap is closed. Is that trend you think going to continue in that in that situation? Because I would have think that uh, air cargo capacity is going to continue to dwindle. I mean, or at least it's going to extend the 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 lack thereof with the outbreaks of the the Delta variant and different changes and close down. It doesn't sound sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think for two reasons, uh, the the the, um, the cargo capacity, and and we're talking here mostly right now of Asia to North America and Asia to New, you know, uh, Europe. So it's on these main lanes, but on those main trade lanes, the capacity is coming down. It was it was you know kind of fifteen uh, percent or so below twenty nineteen levels, and now, like I said, there's been hundreds of flight cancellations by all cargo carriers, passenger airlines running those cargo-only flights because of COVID. And so um, that's bringing down the capacity and the rates are shooting up, uh, you know, four or five times above normal and, and going even higher. So that uh, price gap that we were just talking narrowing could be kind of leveling out a little more or, or coming going back the other way some, uh, at least for the next few weeks or a couple months. 
So, Eric, with, with chip shortages, all these dis dis disruptions, factory shutdowns, and the Lovecraftian nightmare that shipping is, uh, I was surprised to read a note uh, by Wedbush that, was, that actually calmed in investors' nerves. And it was saying that um, Apple's iPhone 13 is still on track for its usual September uh, release at the, at the end of September. Um, and they actually think they're going to have more units produced and they're going to sell 10% more than the year previous. How are they getting these all here? Are they, are they air freighting them? Is that what they usually do? Yeah, that's what they normally do. They they are uh, big buyers. They'll lock up uh, way in advance huge amounts of uh, freighter aircraft uh, on a charter basis. And so that's great for Apple, but it's not so great for everybody else because now capacity drops for the uh, average uh, population of shippers. So, um, yeah, that there'll be a huge product launch, and they'll, they'll have a lot of planes over several weeks going out. And uh, so that that's normally how it works. Yeah, another reason why the, the big shippers, I mean, yeah, they're paying more, but why do they care? Their competition is getting much more hurt than yeah, they are. Yeah, they're gaining so, market share. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird dynamic yeah. now because the carriers and the shippers at the top who can, who can sustain these kind of losses, they have no incentive to stop. They can just yeah. let the competition bleed out. They can let the auction get out of the room, and then they can take over. And it's a sad thing to see in a lot of ways. It really is, but they have no motivation to change these things right I now. I know. It's a I great know. environment for all them. the small shippers. I mean, maybe they can form their own alliance. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Eric, how do people read more of your uh, writing and what are you publishing next? Yeah, um, I'm uh, uh, on um, Freightwaves and AmericanShipper.com. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Reports and um, probably going to do a little, just some story uh, this week about the supply chain issues, you know, the COVID outbreaks in Vietnam really hampering the supply chains there at the port and in the factories. No, that's a crazy story, too, because if you think about that trade war, right, in 2016, that's when a lot of companies decided to move factories to Vietnam, other parts of Asia. But uh, right. oddly enough, there were mostly Chinese factories anyway that moved over to those places. But yeah. now they're, they're stuck in the same situation. Yeah. You know, our, 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 yeah. our previous guest, uh, I believe it's Krenner, uh, no, it's Locomation, it was Finch. What yeah. he said was, was much smarter. And, I, and, and the thing is, like, trade wars are kind of antiquated because we're in a tech war. We're in an IP war, yeah. right? I mean, and that is one of America, aside from like culture and entertainment, tech is our, our biggest product, right? It's our biggest yeah. export to the world. Yeah. That's what we need to focus on. Eric, thank you so much. But before we go, he's got to spin that wheel. Oh, yeah, we do. Spin that wheel. Spin. Oh, good. Spin the wheel, make the deal. What do we got? All right, here's what we got. What is the dumbest way you have ever made yourself bleed? <laughs> dumbest way I've ever made myself bleed? Um... <laughs> You know, I've run into things a lot, uh, you know, banging my head or stubbing my, you know, skinning my ankle on stuff. I'm very uh, klutzy. Well, <laughs> yeah, I noticed your camera just turned sideways. All right, Will. Eric, thank you for joining. That was epic. Klutzy. That was epic. <laughs> what you, must have, you must have done some dumbass ways to hurt yourself. Well, yeah, I almost took a toe off with a shovel once, which was kind of stupid. But I think it was jump trying to jump over our, our wagons as a little kid, right, with a little flimsy piece of board, just hit it and smashed it. Yeah. The dumbest way I've ever got severely injured is the first time I ever met my now brother-in-law. He, yeah. he like picked me up for this big like bear hug. Yeah. <laughs> he brought me back. He brought me down quicker than I was, uh, I was anticipating. Yeah. So my ankle just completely turned sideways. Uh, and the bone came out of the side of my leg and it got ooh. shattered and I had to have three surgeries on it, nice. uh, including my Achilles tendon because my leg could my leg was like a flipper. It couldn't move after oh. they, they took it off. So I got yeah. two rods. I got 13 screws in there. Um, it still hurts whenever like certain temperatures happen. Oh, yeah. I don't have full mobility or extension. Um, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, no, that's uh, and yeah. he felt bad. And about I think it, I might have liked sure. those pain pills a little bit too much, and uh, 
you know, eventually that led to, to, to rehab. <laughs> so it was terrible, right? <laughs> I hope That's he's not lying. Gonna, <laughs> has he apologized for this fiasco? Well, it wasn't really his fault. No, really. It wasn't necessarily But, man, you got to feel just, awful. It was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still hold it against him. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, All right, of course everybody. you have to. Let's go inside the newsletter. You've got mail. All right, you folks. You want mail? You want mail from me right in your inbox? Well, I'll tell you how to get it. Go FreightWaves.com slash WTT. You're going to get the What the Truck newsletter. comes out every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern time. And it's a roundup of uh, whatever news can really cover on this show or whatever interesting in there or maybe something that um, I want to do a deep dive. This hey. week I went into stress levels in supply chain. We'll talk about that in a little yes. bit. But I think it's a big issue, and I think it's one we're going to start focusing on more because I'm hearing a lot of you talk. And this is a show about people, not a show about companies. This is a show for you. This is your gateway drug to freight. All right. Uh, debris. Check out this. This is wild here. We got a couple pictures too. Debris from passing vehicle crashed through the window of a semi truck on Oregon's Highway 97. Looks bad from the front. Wait till you see it on the inside. Yeah, this is crazy, right? Oh, look at that. Check that out. Okay, so according to KMTR on Monday, a piece of debris from a passing vehicle crashed through the windshield of the semi truck in Oregon. Right, the semi was northbound. The debris crashed through the passenger window of the cab. This would have impaled him had he been there. Um, the sheriff said there. Thankfully, there was no one in the passenger seat. Good thing there weren't team drivers of the semi when the object pierced through the window. The driver was not injured and pulled his truck to safety off the roadway and way to help. Uh, good head on you, driver. Not getting rattled there. As for the debris, you're wondering what the heck that thing is? Well, yeah. according to the sheriff, it appeared to be a black John Deere seat that had been bolted to a piece of plywood and was painted black. Like, what? But where'd it come from? Probably like a pickup truck. You know, yeah, I mean, just cruising along. Junk. Yeah, insane, man. Yeah, that would cause me to crash if I saw that thing coming at me. Yeah. Good head on that. Let's head over to uh, Ireland, my friend. Ireland? Yeah, hey. let's go. You know, they got they got pirates in there, in there, and there's one there. His name is Wally the Walrus. He's leaving a trail of destruction in his, in his wake. Check this guy out here, right? So according to the Irish Examiner, his penchant for lounging on boats prompted an appeal from Seal Rescue Island for the donation of an unused rib or large pontoon that could be used as a designated uh, hangout site for him to rest on. Right, like ocean a, couch or something? Like an ocean couch, exactly. Exactly. A well, why boat is it or- such a big deal? What's that? Why is it such a big deal? Well, dude, it sinks boats, man. <laughs> yeah, right? I think a boat a owner who lost his week. vessel last week, Wally, to Wally, Wally took this guy's boat out last week. Used towels to gather the animals' scent before the boat sank. Thankfully, the guy was thinking of it, thinking, and they're going to use this scent to uh, 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 on the pontoon boat to try and attract Wally once they dis- they they deploy this thing, and hopefully they'll get him uh, on there and and utilizing this instead of sinking boats. Oh, so it's like when I, you like, like put your cat in a cat carrier, you put like one of your T-shirts in there or something. Yeah, I guess. Well, does that's that work? You does he even like smell a towel and be like, "This is my couch now"? I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe use walrus pheromones and or something. But like, it's, let's say like I'm a walrus, but I'm a human. Yeah. There's park benches, right? Yeah. Like, why would it, just because they give him his couch? Like, how are they going to communicate to him that this is like your couch and he's not going to go in other? boats I think boats that's anymore? the idea with the scent is maybe he's attracted to. I don't know. But They're what about to... the other boats? He's already. I guess the other boat sank that he put. But the other on. boat sank that he does it. Why don't they just get him a cheap boat? I don't know. Do you know the plural of walruses is uh, walruses? Not like walrus eye. It's walruses. Walruses. Just walrus. Walruses. Uh, wal- walruses. That sounds wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about stress. All right. Oh, so stress has been that. a big issue. And we talked about it on the last show. Uh, I talked about the newsletter. We talked about it last show. We had that Reddit post. I went deeper into it because I've been hearing so many people in the community talk about this. And I think that it's helped the, you know, the great resignation is being put in. So it's a danger to companies. It's a danger to employees. So 
listen up. <laughs> so here's my recommendations, though. I've been in this business since 2005. And yeah. for those of you who are looking for lower stress jobs, um, leave the business. There really aren't that many. <laughs> There's I, not a lot of I options. do have one hero job in mind. And granted, take this with love. Don't, don't get offended by any of these picks. These are from my own personal experience. But these are the jobs that I've held in freight and supply chain. And this is from most stressful to least. Now, I found the most stressful. Now, this isn't at all times. This is only at certain times when quarters are not great is sales. It can be cutthroat. There was limited training in the organizations I was involved in. There was ever-increasing quotas. It was uh, a position devoid of organizational empathy. Um, The managers seemed like sales guys who couldn't cut it. Uh, Enter at your own risk. Your mileage will may vary. I know there's great sales organizations out there. Don't mean to offend any of the ones that you were in that are great. Uh, But the ones that I was in were not so hot, Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, actually, one of them, that my last job that I had in the business was a sales job that drove me so insane. That is when I went into, uh, that's when I finally got treated for uh, so alcoholism and depression. Oh, is that so right? Yeah, wow. it was good. Yeah. It was good in that yeah. sense. What, second most stressful was imports. Now, most of the time I liked imports. It can be rewarding, right? Uh, it's cool to learn about this business. Sure. And uh, I learned a lot at FedEx Trade Networks doing imports. I got to learn about air and ocean. <laughs> I made the mistake that I made the mistake of leaving and going to Vandegrift and doing a perishable air freight. Now that was That's incredibly expensive. It was 24 hour on call. <laughs> you, when you're dealing with perishables, you don't have to just worry about customs. You also have to worry about the FDA. So that's two releases. Customers, however long they've worked in this business, they never seem to understand that there's two different holds. They think that you personally are responsible for holds. It's a pain in the butt. You're always wrong. Everybody's looking for their freight. You never get a thank you. It's tough, but it can also be, it, 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 I liked it better than sales. Exports, a little easier then imports not as demanding, only problem, less support. Yeah. Best one, hero job. Now, this one actually is not that stressful. Duty drawback, it's amazing. It's the greatest mid to senior level position I have had inside the supply chain operations role because it's great. You're just matching imports to exports, not time sensitive. You're like three years to file a claim on these things, um, and you're giving people back money. And they don't even care how much money. They're going to call me like, hey, your claim is 32000 Great. Yes, they never even question sweet. it. Yeah, they're not like, why isn't it 250? They're just like, all right, you're giving me money. Best job in the house. Do duty drawback and get a job there. Rate yours. What's your misery index for jobs and logistics? Okay, if we're going just on stress level, just straight up stress level, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say sales was it was it as well, just because it's 24 yeah. seven. Right, there's no relief from it. No, even on a weekend, you're thinking about it. Now it I know ops head. guys, ops is 24 seven. You get called at any time, but there are periods where the phone's not ringing and you're not called in. You can yeah. relax and you're not thinking about that next thing, right? Mm-hmm. My next one would be LTL. Man, big city dispatching LTL was tough because the rule was, if you weren't scared, you were gonna miss pickups. You had too many drivers on the street. So you had to have a certain amount of stress. Otherwise, you had too many people out there. You're spending too much money making sure the, cover, the, the, the customer is being covered. The other one was an LTL dock supervisor at the big break box. They call them distribution centers now, but they used to be called break box. You got 400 doors, freight's flying. No matter what happens in your responsible area, it never slows down. Yeah. So you got problems. You better solve them quick because the freight's not stopping. It is moving. So those are mine right there. Well, none those of those seem very attractive. So which one do you think would be the best? Of those three? Yeah. <laughs> Sales. Go to sales. <laughs> hey, Gina Carrano. Gina canceled uh, actress. Gina Carano, her first post-Mandalorian firing, has been announced she's going to be the star of an untitled revenge thriller about a serial killer trucker. Can we have another over-the-top? Can we portray truckers like heroes, like Lincoln Hart, for once? Always killers in your movies. Dan Spray Hollywood, at Timothy Dooner, on the Twitter, at Vincent the Dude. Subscribe to the show. Tell them how to be. Peace and love, everyone. Peace and love.